powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I recently picked up a book I read a while ago called Recapturing the Wonder. And in it, uh, the author Mike Cosper tells this story about a time attending a worship service at a local megachurch. And in this church, they had a, a giant, almost four-story cross affixed to the wall behind the stage. And during the service, they had uh, this incredibly emotional uh, worship song, and at the climax of the song, there was this moment when all of the sudden, a blazing light shone out from behind the cross. After the service, Mike went to lunch with his dad, and his dad asked him, do you think that light was real? And what he meant by that was, do you think that light was actually God lighting up that cross? And Mike, he kind of laughed it off. He knew it was just high production value. He knew it was a well-timed event in this church service. And he, and, and he said he was even a little bit shocked, maybe a little embarrassed that his dad, who was a pretty rational thinker, he was an engineer, that he would even ask that kind of a question. But later, as Mike thought back on that conversation, he realized that maybe the most alarming part of it was not that his father thought maybe God had lit up that cross, but it was how quickly Mike assured him that he didn't. That conversation revealed in Mike what I think is probably true for a lot of us here in this room, that while he had a deep faith in God, while he had a theology that taught that God is working and active in the world, he didn't actually believe God was going to do very much. He lived in a world where the idea of a spiritual reality, where the idea of a spiritual power was just that, an idea. And he's not alone. And so as this morning, as we start to look again at the armor of God, as we start to talk about this concept of spiritual warfare, I think we are challenged. As we look at especially the three things that get taught in this verse today, these are things that are really directly in conflict with the way most of us view the world. What we're going to see this morning is that this passage shows us first that there is a battle. There actually is a battle going on and that we are under attack and that only faith in Jesus Christ 
can shield us. So I want us to look at these three things and try to examine how we can make sense of them in this world that we live in. See, I mentioned today, we're looking only really at verse 16. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, think about that phrase for a second. You can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? He is saying that there is this personal, spiritual dimension to our existence. He's saying with just those few words that there is an unseen reality around us. There is the evil one, Satan, the devil, however you want to refer to him, and he is actively seeking to do us harm. I think that's a pretty shocking statement in the Western world today. Now, maybe in other times in history or in other places around the world right now, that wouldn't be such a shocking thing to say. In fact, I think there's places around the world where that would still be taken for granted. But here, where we live in the West, the idea that there is a spiritual power in the universe, it's considered foolish, right? It's kind of superstitious, maybe a little bit silly. There's a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor who tried to explain how this has changed, why our world thinks of these things as being so odd. And he tells it this way. He says that it used to be the case that when human beings looked out on creation, they believed that they lived in this interconnected cosmos. That inside of our existence, there were plenty of things that we don't understand. He said the way he put it was that the world was enchanted. That there was a lot that was inexplicable. And most people believed that there were just forces at work in the world that we couldn't see. That within our own lives, there were forces at work that we couldn't understand. Within the events of the world, uh, the, the, the changing of, of powers around the nation, that there were events at work. There were powers at work behind the scenes. But today... Taylor says that instead of this interconnected cosmos, we live in a closed universe. We view all of existence as a cold, rational, reasonable place. Instead of being enchanted, instead of being filled with mystery, he says now the world is disenchanted. It's closed off to anything, any powers that might be beyond us. And so that means we, we live in a world where every cause must have an effect, where every problem must have a solution, where every mystery has a scientific answer behind it. We just may not know it yet, and we have to keep studying and researching until we find it. But I want to tell you this morning 
that that way of viewing things, the way that we exist, this disenchanted way of viewing the world has a lot of flaws. And the biggest flaw is that it cannot live up to its own promises. We cannot find a cause for every effect. We cannot find a solution for every problem. There are challenges that we face in this life, that we see in this world, that only make sense if the world is the way Scripture describes it. If we live in a world where evil is at work. Think about it. Our culture has taught us that we live in a world where what you see is what you get. We live in a world that's built on science, that's built only on rationality, that is built on public policy. Well, if that's the case, why can't we fix it? If that's the case, why can't we control it? Why can't we, after all these centuries of trying to build a more perfect union, why can't we do it? Why, with all the billions of dollars that we have poured into relief work and peacekeeping missions, trying to bring justice around the globe, why haven't we? Why, after all this time, are we still seeing planes taking off with people clinging onto the wheels for dear life? Why are we still seeing suicide bombers exploding and killing innocent people who are just trying to escape and find a better life? Why in our own nation are we still struggling with, with rampant inequality? Why do we live in a world where some men can build their own spaceships and others can't find food to eat? If we've learned anything, it's that the modern world has not done any better to find a solution for the problem of evil. Evil is no closer to being solved or understood than it ever was. And maybe if you're listening to me and you're objecting in your head and you're saying, well, pastor, you know, I, I don't think the answer is just to start blaming everything on the devil. You say, that seems like a pretty simplistic way of, of viewing the world. But I would counter that to say, I think it's pretty simplistic to deny the presence of real spiritual evil. I think it takes an incredible amount of denial, an incredible amount of self-deception to ignore what we can instinctively tell is true. There is more to this world than our eyes can see. I think even the skeptics here in this room know that. Think about it. When you stand at the lake and you look at the sunset, are you not overcome by this thought that there, there must be a God? And similarly, when you look at the atrocities that are taking place in this world, are you not equally overwhelmed with the sense that there is horrendous evil at work 
in this world. Look around. Read the news. You know what? Don't even look. Don't look far. Just walk down the street. Think about the, the discord in your own relationships. Think, think about the, the conflict that takes place every day in your own mind. Why does it feel like we're never at peace? Why does it feel like life is a battle? Well, Scripture says it's because it is. Now, I'm not saying that the solution here is that we go back to this some pre-scientific world where we discount the value of, of science and all those things. And, and I'm not saying that we need to become those kinds of Christians that blame the devil for everything, right? Even the burnt toast in the morning. But I am calling us to wake up. To realize what, what Mike did that morning when he went out with his father after church. That we, in the church, we are painfully underestimating the spiritual power in our world. We are painfully underestimating the spiritual realities at work in this universe. And that is point one. There is a spiritual battle taking place in this world. And the next thing our verse says, it's not simply that there's a spiritual battle, but there's a battle and we're under attack. Paul tells us in this verse that we're supposed to protect ourselves against the flaming arrows of the evil one. Flaming arrows, that might sound a little quaint today, right? In the world of hollow point bullets and heat-seeking missiles, maybe a, a flaming arrow doesn't seem all that threatening to you. But in, in Paul's world, the flaming arrow was the image of maximum damage, maximum destruction. This was a weapon that was meant to take you out. You've seen Lord of the Rings, right? You remember Helm's Deep? Remember the pictures of hundreds of arrows raining down on their target, nowhere to hide? That's the picture. That's the picture of the kind of attack we're facing. But unfortunately, because we are living in this kind of spiritual ignorance, because we're living in this closed-off world, a lot of times in the church, it seems like rather than grabbing the shield and, and defending ourselves against the arrows, we're just, we're just standing there with our arms at our side, getting riddled with arrows, bursting into flames. Folks, the enemy is brutalizing us. And because we don't know how he works, because we aren't paying attention to him or thinking about him, we don't recognize the simple fact that we're under attack. So what, are, what does that mean? What are these flaming arrows of the evil one that Paul's telling us about? How do we know? How can we tell? 
how can we tell if we're under attack? Well, I think when we get into these passages, we're not careful. We start to think about spiritual realities and powers and battles and wars. We tend to think of really big things, right? Crazy stuff that we see in movies, right? Hauntings and possessions and all these kind of stuff. But the truth is, Satan is primarily a liar. Jesus says that he is a liar and he's the father of lies. His main objective is to deceive us. And he usually does it pretty simply. He usually gives us the same two lies, some variation of them every single time, and they are this. He will say to you, God is not enough for you, or he will say, you are not enough for God. He'll say, God is not enough for you. When you're tempted, this is the message. When you're tempted, that is the lie he tells you. Uh, think about the world right now. Think about the, these news stories that we, we've been facing all week. When we're inundated with these stories about Afghanistan or the rise of the Delta variant or this hurricane that is coming for New Orleans this morning or the wildfires that are spreading on the West Coast, this is when Satan comes and he says, God is not in control. It's time to panic. God is not in control. You need to fear. You need to worry. You need to be anxious. You need to get online and, and lash out in anger on the internet. You need to, to argue. You need to scramble. Or just in our personal lives, in our daily pursuit of, of following Jesus, when Satan tempts us with this lie, he says, God is too small for you. He says, God's not enough for you. There's something else that you really need to be fulfilled. He'll say to you, instead of living your life in pursuit of him, you need, what you really need is this trinket, this possession, this next thing. What you really need is this relationship over here that's off limits. You need this feeling, this lust, this anger. You need this thing to be your identity. That's where you're going to be fulfilled. God is not enough. But it's a lie. It's a lie and it is meant to kill you. It's a flaming arrow that is intended to take you out. The other lie that he tells us is, I am not enough for God. See, Satan wants you to believe that you are not loved, that you are not welcome in the presence of God. And this is especially powerful if he's already hit you a couple times with that first arrow, right? When you've already sinned when you've already messed up, when you already feel far away, well, then the deceiver, he comes in with his accusations. He says, you don't belong here. You're barely even a Christian, if we're being honest. You know what? Maybe you're not a Christian. You're a disappointment. You're just 
going through the motions. You strayed too far. You might as well stay away this time. He says, God doesn't want you. But it's a lie. These are the arrows. This is his weapon. And you know, we might, we might just need to pause there for a second because I know that there are people in this room who have been wounded by those exact arrows this week. I know that right now there's someone in this room who has been pierced. You're believing that God cannot satisfy the longings of your heart. You're hearing those accusations that he doesn't want you, that you're not welcome, that you're too far gone. Well, I want you, if that's you today, this morning, I want you to hear me say, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's, it's a lie. If you believe that it's a lie, say amen. amen. Only Jesus can fulfill you. And he has promised that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He won't leave you as an orphan. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. Wake up. Don't be deceived. You're under attack. But there's hope. Paul tells us that our faith can shield us. I really like this image of faith as a shield. A shield, when you think about it, it's an interesting piece of armor. It's not like some of these other pieces that we've talked about already, right? It's not like the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth, these things that are affixed to your body all the time when you're in battle. The shield is something that you have to take up. It's something that you grab in that moment when you need it most. And the specific kind of shield here that we're talking about is this Roman shield called a, a scutum. So if you think about that shield that Captain America has, right, the circular one that like fits on his arm, it's not that kind of shield. This shield was huge. It was four or five feet tall. It was two and a half feet wide, and it was, it was curved around. I got a picture of it up here. How that for an illustration for you? Um, they were covered in leather. And a lot of times that leather was even wetted down so that when those flaming arrows would hit it, it wouldn't ignite. I really like this picture. Look at it. It's a, it's a powerful image because what it is telling us is that the only thing that can really shield us from the devil's lies is if we burrow ourselves into the truth of God's promises, right? This is the kind of shield that you pull up into and duck down in, that covers all of yourself to protect you from the attack. And in those times of attack, when you feel those, those arrows pointed at you, the only hope we have is to grab a hold of the gospel and hide ourselves in it. When we hear those lies, 
that God is not enough or that you are not enough. That is the moment where we got to pick up that shield and we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. Devil, you say that I'm not enough. Well, you're right. I'm not. I'm a terrible sinner. In fact, I'm a worse sinner than I ever thought I was. I can't believe this is where I am so many years after turning to Christ. But I tell you something else. In Christ, I am more loved and more accepted than I can ever imagine. Devil, you say that God is not enough. But I say that the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills has made me his heir. What more could I ever need? The true king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who makes nations rise and fall, has made me a citizen of his kingdom. What event in this world could ever shake me? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What more could I want than him? But folks, you know, that's not all. Because this shield, unlike some of the other things that we've seen already in this series, this shield is not a piece of armor that is only designed for individual use. See, this shield is meant to work in tandem with other shields. You may have seen it in movies, right? Here's a picture where these shoulders, these these soldiers lock in next to each other. And they put a bunch of shields in front together and they put a bunch more shields on top and shields on the side and all of a sudden they become almost like this moving tank on the battlefield. I think this is so cool, guys. See, because if an enemy comes and he's, he's facing one shield, that's an obstacle. But if he's facing this, he's about to get his butt kicked. <laughs> the shield of faith. I want to remind you, this is where we need to remember. This is a letter we're reading. This letter was written to the church. It wasn't just written to you. This letter is essentially a call to unity, to the unity that we have been given in Christ. Paul wants you to realize that the shield of faith is much more powerful in community. We need each other. If we're going to fight this fight, we need the church. The solo Christian, that is a myth. That is a myth of this modern age, of this closed-off view of the world, this idea that we can do it all on our own, we can figure it all out by ourselves. We can't. We need the church. And I don't just mean you need to go to church. I mean you have to be the church. We've got to get to know each other. We have to depend on each other. We have to share life together. We've got to confess our sin to one another. We've got to share our victories with one another. We have to talk about our temptations. We have to talk about those accusations that we hear so that we know when we're being attacked. 
so that we can step up and we can grab our shield and we can defend our neighbor when they need more powerful together. And that's why Satan works so hard to divide this church over dumb nonsense, over music styles and dress codes and carpet colors and service times. Because he knows if we are divided, it'll be much easier to take us out. We need each other. I need you. Because sometimes I can't see the errors. Sometimes I can't tell when the lies are coming. Sometimes I don't have the strength to preach the gospel to myself. And I need you to remind me. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're in that place. Maybe you have gotten so used to living in this what you see is what you get world. Maybe you're in that place where even just this morning, you're starting to realize just how many arrows have been hitting you. Maybe you're not sure you've got enough faith to defend yourself. Wherever you might be this morning, I want you to hear this. The invitation to take up the shield of faith is not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the one in whom your faith rests. You hear that? <laughs> Let me say it one more time. The, the invitation to take up the shield of faith, it's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the one in whom your faith rests. The reason our faith shields us is because our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our own ability to fight the evil one. It's in Jesus and the victory that he has already won on the cross. See, our faith is in the historical fact that Jesus won the war when he took our sin and once and for all and forever hid us inside of his righteous record. That means that if you are in Christ, if you repent and you turn to him, if you are saved by Jesus, then Satan can lie to you, but he can't have you. Jesus says, I know my sheep. They follow me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So this morning, as we prepare to, to leave this place, go out into this world for another week, I want to challenge you to take up the shield of faith. I want to challenge you to preach the gospel to the lies this week. I want to challenge you to ask God to wake you up to the spiritual reality at work in this world and, and show you where you've been taking damage. And then, and here's the little extra bit here. I want to challenge you to find someone else. 
and ask where they might need your support. I want to challenge us together to, to lock our arms in battle and see what God might do. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that our faith is a shield because we are weak. We are grateful that we are hidden in Christ because we often feel so exposed, so weak and so wounded. God, we thank you that you have given us the victory. And Lord, we pray you would enable us to live by faith this week. Lord, I want to pray for any of those who are here in this room or, or watching online who may not know you who have felt the damage that they're taking. I want to pray, Lord, that they might turn to you today. I want to pray that they might feel welcome to come and speak to me or to Robert or to any of the other leaders here at this church, that we could walk alongside them. And Lord, finally, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that you'd defend us from the arrows of the evil one. And Lord, that we as a church would enter into a new season of unity of fruitfulness and power. We pray this in Christ's name.